Bioshock is one of those games that I'm sure we all have very fond memories of. If by some chance in hell you haven't played Bioshock, I highly recommend that you check it out on Steam or whatever platform you currently have and give it a shot. It released on August 21st of 2007 in North America and subsequently on August 24th in Europe and Australia. The initial marketing materials pushed the idea that Bioshock was a quote, genetically enhanced action adventure horror themed first person shooter by Irrational Games. Now, believe it or not, at the time of release, I was a mere 10 years old, and so I didn't have much interest in Bioshock. In fact, I was actually flying around the country playing chess. My older brother, however, was very, very interested in this game. Not just because it looked pretty and the graphics at the time were astounding, it seemed to run well, it offered a huge array of weapons to fight with. All of that was cool and certainly helped sell him, but what really made him want to get this game was the fact that practically everything in Rapture, whether you're talking about the narrative structure or you're talking about the design of Rapture and the city, the Art Deco style and structure of every single building and item in the world, all of it is inspired heavily by Ayn Rand. Irrational Games even embraced this by naming one of their lead characters, Atlas, after the novel that heavily inspired Bioshock and the World Within, specifically Atlas Shrugged. However, on a more gameplay-focused side, most people initially bought into the idea of Bioshock because this was a quote-unquote spiritual successor to a previous title by Irrational Games, System Shock 2. You can certainly see some of the visual inspirations on screen as well as gameplay inspirations, but once people got their hands on Bioshock, they realized it was something unique, special, and very, very different. Now, for a long time, all the way up until just a few years ago, I had resigned myself to the thought that first-person shooters were simply games that focused on mechanics, on fast-paced action, on having uh, really engaging multiplayer experiences, but the hope of getting a really, truly original and engaging plot that I could lose myself in was something that I'd simply have to wait for an RPG to feel. I, I wouldn't find that in a first-person shooter. Looking back, I find it kind of ridiculous that that's what I once thought, but I honestly did believe that. But the game that shook me out of that misconception was, in fact, Bioshock. Bioshock's plot is original, it's creative, it's witty, it has plot twists that you don't actually see coming, and it actually has moments where you are in awe of everything around you. It almost makes you wish that you had the chance to live within Rapture before it all went to crap. Now I will say at this point, we're gonna start getting into some spoilers. So if you haven't played Bioshock before, I highly recommend that you pause the video, go play it, pick it up for a few bucks on Steam, give it a shot, play through it. It takes about 12 hours to complete in its entirety, and then you can come back and watch the rest of this video. Don't worry, it will still be here. But with that spoiler warning out of the way, let's get into a bit of the narrative and talk about the characters. 
So the sort of broad overview of the narrative within Bioshock as a game is that the game, well, takes place in 1960 in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, where Jack, the protagonist, is the sole survivor of a plane crash, and this is how the game opens up. You emerge from the water, look over and see a lighthouse, which is very, very strangely placed. You climb up into it and you find a weird sort of elevator thing that you hop into and start to descend down into the ocean. You go down this elevator and are treated to one of the most engaging and interesting and really compelling monologues that I can think of in a modern video game. When I think of a compelling monologue, something I can point to and tell my friends, you remember this point in this game or this monologue or this section of dialogue, people will always remember this introduction to Rapture. So much so that I'm going to let it play in its entirety right here because I want you to at least have this, this memory brought back up or if you have haven't played the game before and aren't going to for whatever reason you can see what I'm referring to. I am Andrew Ryan and I'm here to ask you a question. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his brow? No says the man in Washington, it belongs to the poor. No, says the man in the Vatican, it belongs to God. No, says the man in Moscow, it belongs to everyone. I rejected those answers. Instead, I chose something different. I chose the impossible. I chose rapture. The artist would not fear the censor, where the scientist would not be bound by petty morality, where the great would not be constrained by the small. And with the sweat of your brow, rapture can become your city as well. Now, as I previously stated, most of Bioshock is heavily influenced by the writings and work of Anne Rand, who was a philosopher in the 50s, 60s, and sort of early 70s before she started to uh, get really, really old. Now, what I have here, and what I'm going to show you next, is a clipping from one of the first interviews, if not the first interview she ever did that was filmed. It was shot in 1959 and she's being interviewed by a man of faith, a Christian man, who is asking her about the themes and ideas behind Atlas Shrugged, which is the book and the novel that would eventually inspire Bioshock. 
Now, the reason I'm going to all this trouble to show you a clip from one of her interviews is because I feel as though many gaming critics and gaming journalists and even just gamers aren't aware of the immense influence that people outside gaming can have on the games that they play on the narratives they're in, especially with regards to Bioshock. Anne Rand's writings and works and thoughts are so integral to everything in all of these Bioshock games, it's very, very important to understand it. And especially once you understand Anne Rand's thoughts, you really start to appreciate what Andrew Ryan was trying to accomplish within Rapture. It offers a whole new context to the story, and it really is a pretty incredible thing once you're aware of it. I'll also just say very quickly before I play it that this is linked down below. It's highly interesting. I highly recommend you check it out after you watch this video, of course. But with that said, here is Anne Rand. You bring, you, you put this philosophy to work in your novel Atlas Shrugged. That's right. You demonstrate it in, in human terms in your novel Atlas Shrugged. And let me start by quoting from a review of this novel Atlas Shrugged that appeared in Newsweek. It said that you are out to destroy almost every edifice in the contemporary American way of life, our Judeo-Christian religion, our modified government-regulated capitalism, our rule by the majority will. Other reviews have said that you scorn churches and the concept of God. Are these accurate criticisms? Uh, yes. I agree with the facts, but not the estimates of this criticism. Namely, if I am challenging the base of all these institutions, I'm challenging the moral code of altruism, the precept that man's moral duty is to live for others that man must sacrifice himself to others, which is the present-day morality. What do you Since mean by I sacrifice himself for others? This now we're moment. getting to the point. One moment. Since I'm challenging the base, I necessarily would challenge the institutions you named, which are a result of that morality. All right. And now what is self-sacrifice? Yes, what is self-sacrifice? You say that you do not like the altruism by which we live. You, you like a certain kind of Ayn Randist selfishness. I uh, would say that I don't like is too weak a word. I consider it evil. And uh, self-sacrifice is the precept that man needs to serve others in order to justify his existence, that his moral duty is to serve others. That is what most people believe today. Well, yes, we're taught to feel concerned for our fellow man, to feel responsible for his welfare, to feel that we are, as religious people uh, might put it, children under God and responsible one for the other. Now, why do you rebel? What's wrong with this philosophy? But that is what, uh, in fact, makes man a sacrificial animal. That man must work for others, concern himself with others, or be responsible for them. That is the role of a sacrificial object. I say that man is entitled to his own happiness and that he must achieve it himself, but that he cannot demand that others give up their lives to make him happy. I and read. nor should he wish to sacrifice himself for the happiness of others. I hold that man should have self-esteem. 
Now this idea of rational self-interest isn't anything new, but taken to this extreme to the point where altruism and selflessness itself isn't just immoral or a matter of moral indifference, it is wrong, she considers it evil, that is a fairly significant change, and it's something that can justify and explain practically everything that goes on in Rapture. As you go through Bioshock, you'll learn more and more about the society and culture therein that was cultivated through Andrew Ryan's careful manipulation of everything that was going on within the society that was existing in Rapture itself. And once you look into that and you really start to think about that and compare it with Anne Rand's specific teachings, you really can start to appreciate or perhaps even lament everything that she stood for. So we're introduced to Rapture, this sort of dilapidated utopia that was once a beautiful, shocking place. And even now, when it's, it's all torn down, falling apart, it's still incredibly beautiful. Now, within this bathysphere, which is what this weird circular elevator-looking thing is called, an Irishman named Atlas starts assisting Jack in making his way to safety via the service radio which is found within said bathysphere. Now, I do also think it's very important, whenever a game introduces you into the main setting, location, what have you, of said game, it's very important that the initial exposure to that setting sets the tone. And that is one of the things that Bioshock has so often been praised for, is its ability to properly set tone and atmosphere to the point where you're either constantly questioning your safety or where you are trying to figure out where the next threat is coming from or why this all went to crap when it's so dang beautiful and engaging. Really, you just find yourself constantly asking yourself, what would this have looked like before everything went to hell? Bioshock sets a very clear tone right away. The first thing you witness within Rapture after you float past a whale and a giant squid is actually a murder taking place right outside the window of the bathysphere that we're in. This bizarre creature humanoid thing starts jumping on top of the bathysphere, smashing it and cutting into it somehow. It's actually a really unnerving experience, and going back, playing this game all over again for this video, I actually felt myself getting very, very stressed out. I knew that nothing was gonna happen because there's a scripted sequence here. It's not like you can screw up and she breaks in and kills you. You're fine, but the experience and the tone and the atmosphere was built so well that even knowing that everything's gonna be okay, it's still incredibly stressful. Now, as you explore the city and start to open up a few new doors and pathways, you eventually run into what you will soon be calling Little Sisters, who are these little girls that follow around what we call Big Daddies, who are essentially these giant scuba diving looking creatures, and they contain a substance called Atom. This Atom substance is actually closely tied with the plasmids that you're going to be using throughout all of the Bioshock games, actually, which allows you to shoot electricity out of your hand or fire or sick bees on somebody or have telekinetic powers. It's all tied together through this atom that these little sisters happen to hold. 
Now, Atlas, the guy we talked about earlier who's going to help guide you through the city, he makes it very clear that you should just kill the little sisters and take all of their Adam. They, whatever little girl was once in there is no longer there, so no harm, no foul, I suppose. But uh, you actually get introduced to a woman by the name of Dr. Tenenbaum, who urges Jack not to kill the little sisters, but instead to embrace them and heal them. And if you do this, she will somehow make it worth your while later on. Now this is the only real moral choice you're offered in the game, which I'm actually okay with. It's a very narrative and linear experience. It doesn't necessarily need to be hyper branching or anything like that. But what you're given the option to do is essentially to use up all of the Adam within these little sisters, or you can go and uh, heal them and get a little bit with the hope of someday or at some point being repaid for your kindness. and. Essentially, all that really matters is the, the quick reward versus long-term reward. If you happen to save the little sisters as opposed to killing them and taking all of their Adam, you'll actually get rewarded steadily. You'll get little packages or gifts from the little sisters that uh, perhaps balances out by the end of the game. I'm not really sure, and I'm certainly not going to go and count up every package and the actual unitary measurement of Adam that you gain from those packages. It would take too long, roughly it's equal however I, I would at least assume the big difference comes later on in the game at the very very end after you take out the final boss and you're given the final cutscene if you happen to save more than killing the little sisters then you'll get a good ending quote-unquote where everything's cool you basically take care of them for the rest of your lives and and it's really cute and beautiful and lovely however if you happen to kill more of them they turn into little demons spawn and do all sorts of nasty stuff if you've played the game I'm sure you got one of these two endings uh, and it's it's kind of cool that you have the option but really it has no impact on the game once you're playing it this is just a little pet peeve of mine. I love having multiple endings based on the choices that you've made, but it is a little frustrating when your choices have no impact within the game that you're actually playing. It's one thing to have a game where you make choices and then at the end of said game, you get a cutscene that's specifically tailored to whatever choices you made. That's cool, I can appreciate that, but I'd much prefer the choices that you make impact the gameplay and the story within the game as you go through it. And I guess you could argue you that to some extent that is true within Bioshock because you do get certain packages or you get an immediate return and reward for killing the little sisters and taking all of their Adam immediately but that's not quite the same as having branching narratives so it's it's something I can forgive it I don't think it's a big issue that necessarily even needs forgiveness but I thought I would just point it out now overall the narrative within Bioshock doesn't necessarily serve to tell one person person's story specifically. Jack isn't necessarily the one having his story told. Sure, there's a couple plot twists and turns throughout the game, and especially about halfway through the game, you get a big reveal that uh, is, is very surprising, and if you played the game, I'm sure you're aware of what that plot twist is. But on the whole, Jack isn't the focus of the narrative. The focus of the narrative is Rapture, 
the city and you're trying to figure out what went wrong. Rapture is the actual star of the game. Let me just say, I'm very, very glad that Rapture is the star of the game because my word is it beautiful, interesting, compelling, and just bizarre. In Bioshock Infinite, you have Columbia and it's very, very beautiful and it's mesmerizing how it can be so awesome and yet so horrible at the same time. And with Rapture, it's a little bit different because you see a shadow of its former glory. It was at one point a truly majestic and incredible place, but having been overrun by the plasmid abuse, by the, the craving and love of Adam, everything slowly started to collapse. About halfway through the game, you're introduced to the actual villain of the game. It's not actually Andrew Ryan. It's actually this individual by the name of Frank Fontaine, who realized that Andrew Ryan had a really lax approach to governmental structure within Rapture. He didn't want to suppress an artist's ideas or ideals with uh, certain laws or restrictions or somebody's uh, work by taking and taxing them. He wanted to leave it up to the individual so he was very, very free market focused and very freedom focused. But what that means is that he left a huge void to be filled. And that is precisely where Fontaine saw his opportunity. Fontaine started to seize the power. And at this point, a civil war essentially broke out within Rapture, which led to the current state of affairs. Now, one of the things that I like most about Bioshock is that it doesn't focus on just having one big boss and then tries to scatter in a bunch of minor enemies in there that are basically his henchmen. The way that a lot of Arkham games, for instance, work is that you have a couple big bad guys and then just hundreds or thousands of little minions that you have to fight. And don't get me wrong, there's plenty of sort of uh, scrap heap bad guys and villains for you to fight within Bioshock. It's not like you're, you're gonna be bored without anybody to kill or shoot, but rather there's these sort of mini bosses or mini uh, focuses and, and protagonists that you can encounter. For instance, early on in the game, I'd say within even the first hour, you encounter an individual by the name of Dr. Steinman, who's essentially trying to pursue the epitome of beauty and uh, grace and, and uh, fragility that he hasn't been able to find in the actual world. So he's trying to essentially operate on these individuals and surgically turn them into what he perceives as the ultimate beauty. He has a monologue actually and I tried to record it when I was playing through the game but I was attacked by essentially a drone a little ways into the monologue so I'll let it play but at one point I do have to shoot it so my apologies. <laughs> what can I do with this one Aphrodite? She won't stay still! I want to make them beautiful, but they always turn out wrong! That was too fast! This one too long! This one too symmetrical! And now... An intruder! He's ugly! 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 Small but memorable character design and writing is one of the most difficult things to do, not just for video games, but for plays, for film, for TV, for whatever you're talking about, to create even a small role and have it be memorable years after somebody first witnessed it is uh, something that you really have to applaud the writers over at Irrational Games for doing. But now I think it's time to start discussing the things that I don't really enjoy about Bioshock, or at least I think that could be improved. Now, it's important to 
note that this game was made a decade ago, and so it's not quite fair to criticize things like uh, graphics or frame drops or certain technological things that obviously have been improved and can be improved just by making a game in the modern day. So I'm not going to address anything like that, but specifically a couple design things that I would have liked to see differently. Now the first thing that tends to bug me is not just an issue with the original Bioshock game that we're discussing right now, but it's something that was duplicated multiple times throughout the franchise's history, with Bioshock 2 and eventually Bioshock Infinite, all of the games suffered from the same stupid inventory system. I honestly don't know why they keep it. My best guess is that the reason they want you constantly switching between weapons is to keep the combat feeling fast and interesting and fluid to the point where you're like, okay, I gotta uh, switch and I gotta shock him, now I gotta grab my wrench and hit him, and then I'm gonna freeze this chick and then break her open, then I'm gonna switch to my shotgun and do that, and so everything is very fast-paced and it keeps things exciting, I guess is what they're going for. My issue with it is that when you're hot selecting different items and different weapons, especially on PC where you have to scroll through them, or on console where you have to do the same thing, it makes it very difficult to get directly to the weapon that you want right when you want it. Now it's true there are numerical shortcuts that you can take when playing on PC, so you can even map uh, certain plasmids to your numpad for instance so you can hot swap to them or you can just route your default uh, physical weapons up to the number row and that is true that is a solution I suppose but to take your hand off of WASD or off of the mouse to quickly hot swap to them I always found a little bit clunky and frustrating. But this is a completely subjective thing, and it may have bugged me, but it might not bug you at all. And you might have been used to it in the first 10 minutes of gameplay, whereas it took me multiple hours of getting used to it, practicing, to actually get into the rhythm of hot swapping directly to the weapon I wanted at a given moment. This just goes to show you that sometimes a lot of a good thing can end up being a bad thing. Bioshock really focuses on offering you lots of different options. For most weapons, there's multiple types of ammo that you you can use. For a pistol, you have a regular type of weapon, you can have a, a sort of exploding type, you can have an incendiary round. All of these are fantastic, and the option to build and craft these and tailor them particularly to how you like to play, I can really appreciate. The problem comes about specifically with the fact that there's no enemies to really take advantage of it. Sure, there's moments where you're fighting somebody who's standing in a puddle, and having shock rounds can be useful in, in, in that moment specifically, but there's no consistent enemy types that are weak to certain types of ammo, so to build your character specifically around a certain type of ammo or a certain loadout, it doesn't really work. In general, you have so much ammo sitting in your inventory that you are, are always prepared for anything that comes around to challenge you. My other big complaint about Bioshock, once again, is very subjective, and I've discussed this with multiple friends of mine. A couple of them agree and a couple disagree, but I'll just throw it out there and you can take it or leave it based on your experience. I've always felt that Bioshock games have trouble figuring out how long they should stick around. Specifically, what I'm talking about is the narrative. At times, it can feel as though the game is dragging, and at times it feels like it's moving so quickly, you have no idea what's going on. And This is mainly uh, due to poor pacing in certain sequences, and it's something that every game, whether you're talking about a first-person shooter, a game like The Sims, or even 
even Ellie Noir or The Witcher 3. All of them can have problems with pacing, and it's something that uh, no game has done perfectly in the history of video games. But just because everybody else screws it up too doesn't mean that I can't point it out with Bioshock. Bioshock is a game that really, at times, especially in the last quarter of the game, t seems to really slow down and not know where it's going. And it's kind of implied that you're nearing the end, but especially the last gauntlet where you're running around with a little sister fighting through waves of, of enemies is weirdly bland, and I was expecting a big set piece. After all, we're in Rapture in the middle of the Atlantic. Surely there's some cool set piece we could have, or maybe a sequence where we're in a, a submarine going through the water, or maybe uh, we get in a big daddy suit and then we're fighting in this big collapsing building or something like that. I know that's a lot to ask, but it is the end of the game, uh, at least. I think that that's a reasonable expectation to have a large set piece there for us to oogle and ogle at. I understand that this was 2007, there were a lot of technical issues with doing something major like that, but at the very least, having something different from everything else you've seen in the game at the very end. We don't actually get that. What we get is a short little gauntlet where we run through fighting some enemies and then we fight the final boss in a sequence that really isn't asking for any type of tactical play or mix-up, but rather just unload every bullet, every round, every type of ammunition you have on your person onto this character. I can appreciate a good final boss fight, don't get me wrong, I love all the Soulsborne games, I really like The Witcher 3 and those sequences that are get really difficult, especially in the DLCs, but in this particular case, it, there's no real difference in challenge. You just have one guy with a massive health bar that keeps getting spawned back and you have to stab his heart with your needle and then you get back out and you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Now, the footage I recorded here happened to be on easy because I wanted to get one single shot all the way through the fight. But I did play through it also on hard and that took multiple attempts. It was very difficult, but there was no difference in the challenge there's nothing shaking it up. It was more of the same and at the very end of a game, especially a first-person shooter as grandiose as Bioshock, I would have expected something a little bit different, a little unique, and a little bit more memorable. But when it comes down to it, my main criticism of Bioshock's pacing is that I want more of what Bioshock does really, really well. When Bioshock instead, for budgetary reasons perhaps, or just technological reasons, they had to resign themselves to the idea that they had to put more of the same blandness at the very end and not really shake it up. I want more of the early game and not more of the late game. And that, I think, at least speaks to the quality of the first six hours or so. But the reality was that for me, playing through Bioshock, the game got very samey near the end, and near the end, I was definitely ready to put the controller down. I mean, so to speak, I was playing on PC with a keyboard and mouse, but you get what I'm saying. Overall, Bioshock is a fantastic game, and it obviously set the standard for a franchise that would soon become the favorite of many, many gamers out there. The beautifully realized world of Rapture, with the heavy influences of Anne Rand, and the gameplay mechanics that are fast-paced and exciting, all of that builds into a very, very strong first-person shooter, and frankly, an incredible one, considering this was released a decade ago. And that's the main point of this video. Even though this game is a decade old, recently there was a remastered version of it and its brother, uh, Bioshock 2, 
released that is available on Steam and basically anywhere that you might happen to game. And I really recommend that you try it out. These games are beautifully crafted and honestly, if you haven't had the chance to play through one of these, you owe it to yourself to give it a shot. I tried to steer away from some of the plot twists and turns, particularly because I found them so incredible when I first played through them that I want you to have the same opportunity if for whatever reason you watched this video and you have yet to play it. But I don't wanna overstay my welcome, so I'm gonna end it there. Let me know what you thought of the video down in the comment section below, and if you enjoyed it, smash that like button, it really does help me out. Also, if you would like me to do this same type of video for Bioshock 2 and Bioshock Infinite, hit that like button as well well, that just lets me know you're interested. And with that, that's all I have to say. Thank you for watching. Honestly and truly, I love each and every single one of you more than you could possibly know, and I'll see you in the very next video. Peace out.